And it reads, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Amen? You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes up. Thank you, Pastor Joshua. Appreciate that. I want to read this prayer over us this morning. Um, I have a sense this morning uh, that there's heavy hearts in the room. I know mine is. And so I want to read this prayer as I was reading this morning, getting ready for this morning. Uh, the prayer is titled, Run to Jesus. And this is what the writer says. Precious, blessed Lord Jesus, let the morning, noon, and evening cry of my heart be the language of the church. And let the cry be awakened by your grace and answered in your mercy. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chamber. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We extol your love more than wine. Amen. Let us run to Jesus this morning to find all of our comfort, hope, and peace this morning. Amen. I just want to take a moment uh, that it, to remember that it is 9-11. And so if you served in 9-11, if you are in the armed uh, forces, we want to say thank you so much. Um, I think we uh, take our soldiers for granted. It's because of their sacrifice uh, that we, that I get to preach God's word without much fear or trepidation. And so I'm grateful for that. And I do want to be reminded of all the men and women um, that lost their lives on our behalf uh, today. And let's take a moment of silence uh, for them and their families and then go to the Lord in prayer. God, it is a great privilege to stand in your pulpit and preach to your people. Just being able to stand in this pulpit to preach to your people came with a great sacrifice from a lot of men and women that gave their lives, their time, their energy to protect this country. And I, I'm grateful for that, God. I'm grateful that I do not have to stand in this pulpit with much fear, much trembling, because of the freedom that was given to us first and foremost to you, but on the backs of other men and women. So I'm grateful for that. I pray for anyone here this morning, God, that fought for this country, in particular on a 9-11. I'm grateful for them. I pray for their hearts this morning, God, as I know they lost close friends. 
So I pray, God, that you would bring them a special comfort this morning. That can only be a peace that would come from you. And let us rejoice in our freedom, say thank you to you, but be grateful for the men and women that gave their lives for us. And now, guys, we come to your holy word. We look again to your word to do what only it can, and it's to give us a great hope in the midst of trials. And so I pray that would be true for us this morning. I'm grateful for your word that is inerrant, inspired, infallible, given to us by you, the creator, to guide us, lead us to become more holy. I pray that would be true for every one of us this morning. And so now we offer, as we do every Sunday, we offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to do your perfect and pleasing will. And the people of God said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn as Pastor Joshua said to James chapter 5. He read 7 through 9. That's on me. I'm going to cover a greater portion of that text this morning. We will go all the way to verse 11. Arounding the turn here in the letter of James. We're coming to the, the tail end. Uh, by my records, we have about two or three weeks depending on how I finish this letter out. And so as we begin this last turn in the letter, James is going to point us back to where we started. He's going to point us back to trials and suffering. Now, I, I say that to, to tell you this. This book for me, from the moment I began to study last year to today, God continues to use it to speak to me first and foremost. So I'm only offering you what God has been teaching me to give it back to you. So this is not a talking head. This is coming from a heart that God is using uh, his word to uh, really convict me, encourage me, challenge me, and bring me comfort. So I, I pray that would be true for you. I pray that you would leave here this morning encouraged. Now here's the deal though. We don't like talking about suffering, do we? But here's the other part in the suffering that James is going to teach us this morning, which is even more painful. We must be patient in our suffering. Now, how many of us would rather have the microwave version of suffering? Like, man, I put that thing in the microwave, hit two, two minutes later it comes out, it's steaming hot. You can't do that with good food. Anyone ever had a steak in the microwave? Like, everyone's like, what, what are you talking about? But how often do we want to rush the process of what God wants to do in us so he can do something through us and hit the two-minute on the microwave? And James is going to get back to us and say right out of the get-go in verse 7, the two first words, be patient. Now, I wish there were other words. I wish it would be, hurry up. Get on with it. Moving along. But no, James says, hey, as I started, remember what he started? He said, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. And now he's going to bring us all the way back. Now he's going to say, hey, 
You've been meeting trials of various kinds. If you've been with us over the last several months in this letter, you would probably say there's things in your life that have been trials in your life. Am I the only one? And now, James, at the end, I'm like, James, you could have done that in chapter 1. Why you got to wait all the way to chapter 5? He says, now let me tell you how to face those trials and how you are to get the joy. Because the, the end of the trial, James tells us, is what? Joy. We want to go from trial to joy quickly. And now James says, yeah, but it's not quick. You must be patient. Now, here's what this means in the Greek. The word patient means this. It means to be long-tempered or with long anger or long desire. And he says the word patient in the Greek has everything to do with our personal relationships. So he'd been talking about trials of various kinds. And now he's going to move into trials on the personal level. Most of us, if we're honest, we all have trials with other people. They might be sitting next to you. Jenny's at work, so she's not even in the city today. She'll hear this, and I'll hear about it this evening. But James is going to now tell us, hey, when you face trials, suffering, and persecutions with other people, here's the six things to remind you how to endure those suffering. Six things he says. Those six things, and I borrow these six things from someone I respect. These six things are first, the coming of the Lord. The next is the Lord's judgment. The next is to be reminded of the Lord's servants. And then it's to be reminded of the Lord's blessing, the Lord's purposes, and lastly, be reminded of the Lord's character. So let's dive in this morning. The first thing that we are to be patient as we remind ourselves how we are to be patient is this, the Lord's coming. Three times in this short little text, he says that the Lord is coming. Look in the very first verse, verse 7. Until the Lord comes, he says. He says again in verse 8, in the Lord's coming, he, he says it again a little further down in the passage. So the first thing we must be reminded of this, is that the Lord will return as we wait patiently in our suffering. Remember what James told us a few weeks ago. How often do we forget our life is but a vapor? If our life is but a vapor, therefore what else has to be a vapor? Our suffering. But how often do our sufferings not feel like a vapor? They are all consuming, are they not? And yet, James is going to say, hey, i got to remind you, I know you're suffering. He's not trying to take away our sufferings. He's not trying to move us too quickly through our sufferings. This is the promise from God's Word. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will and must suffer. That is a promise from God's Word. But now James says and reminds us, hey, let me remind you, your life is but a vapor. Therefore, your suffering is but a vapor. And we are reminded that God is coming back, which means we won't always suffer. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I'm in the middle of suffering, it seems like that suffering will never end. Am I the only one? 
I'm getting like a lot of blank stares this morning. Am I the only one this morning? Like, who in here this morning is like, man, I'm in the middle of suffering. And who in here is like, I wish it would be over already. I can't promise you if or when it's going to be over, because I do not know. You may suffer now till you die. I have no idea. You may wake up and the suffering be over. Praise be to God. But what I do know is that we have a Savior that's going to return and redeem us and heal us and remove all of our suffering. You see, there's one thing that we can be assured of in, he in heaven. There is no more suffering. There are no more tears. He removes them all because his presence is with us. Remember our life and our circumstances and our suffering are but a vapor. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, For this light momentary affliction, if you're here this morning, you're suffering, that is a light and momentary affliction. And now Paul says, let me tell you what your light and momentary affliction is for. It is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Let me read that verse again. If you're suffering this morning, there is a time that Christ will return. And in our suffering, we can be reminded as Paul, who Paul says this. He said, there's this thorn in my flesh. I want it to be removed. I prayed that it would be removed. I'll get to that in a few moments. But he says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing me for an eternal weight of glory. You're suffering this morning. Is preparing you for the weight of glory. Peter says this in his small letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, he says this. In this you rejoice, though now what? For a little while. A short time of suffering. If necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. So that the testing of your genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through the testing of fire, may be found as a result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What, what Peter is saying, may we rejoice in our momentary suffering. It's a little while. We've been grieved, but God is doing something in your faith as you go through the trial. That's what he told, James told us in chapter 1. Remember, he says this in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various trials of various kinds. For we know that the testing of your faith through the trial produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be what? Perfect and complete. God is using your trial to make you perfect and complete and lack in nothing. He goes on to tell us later on, as you can remember, that we are to go to God in our trials. And it's going to God that there's a fulfillment for us. Now, he gives an, an illustration of what that looks like. He's going to say to us, let me remind you of what that looks like. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it till it is received. The early and the late rains. Be patient. 
So now he gives us an illustration of how a farmer lives patiently with his crops. Three things we can gain from this small illustration. Trials are God's purposes for us, and they are worked out over a long period of time. Now, if you had any helping with the garden this year, we tilled the garden, we planted the seeds, and nobody in their right mind, after the seed was planted, went out the next day and thought, man, there's the harvest. Right? Like we waited patiently that the God, the God of the universe would send enough rain, enough sun, enough soil, and out of that seed going into the ground, we waited patiently for the crops to come, did we not? And so the first thing we know in our trials is that God's purposes are most of the time worked out over long periods of time. That's not what we want, is it? But we know that to be true. That's what he's saying to us. Remember the farmer and how patiently he waits for the fruits of the earth. The second thing we can be assured of is this. God's working in us, in our trials, for his purposes, and they can only be worked out by him alone. Let me tell you, there is nothing that we did to that garden to produce anything other than put a seed in the ground and water it. That's all that we did. It was up to God and God alone and his goodness and kindness to us that any kind of fruit or any kind of vegetable would come out of the vine. And so we know that to be true in our suffering. It is through God and God alone that he wants to do something in you and through you, and it can only be accomplished by him. If you rush it, you will ruin it. Let me say that again. If you rush your trials, you will ruin what God wants to do in your trial. It would be like this. If I took a caterpillar, I put it in a jar. I don't know why they do this in middle school. And then they do whatever it does, and then it gets into a cocoon. What happens if I go and cut the cocoon before the butterfly gets out of the cocoon itself? It can never spread its wings, and it can never fly. That is so true in our own lives. When we rush the process of our suffering, we don't endure to the steadfastness and let our faith took full effect. Now, just the same way that that butterfly has to struggle in the cocoon to get out of it, so must we. And I'll say this, the struggle is real, is it not? But let us not rush the struggle. And lastly, I hit, hit on it just a moment ago. God's purposes in our trials, the promise of God's word is this. It's always worth the wait. Let me say that again. Your suffering for God's purposes is always worth the wait. I wish it wasn't so painful. But I do know this. It's worth the wait. It is worth the wait. The next thing that James says as we go through our trials, now he's talking about people, how we have interpersonal relationships with people in the church. The next thing he says is, let's be reminded of the Lord's judgment. I don't know why he's got to put stuff like that in there, but he does. Verse 9, he says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at 
the door. The next thing is this. We must be reminded that we wait patiently. How do we wait patiently? We do not grumble against one another in our patient waiting. How often is the trial that you go through, the suffering you go through, is it not with another person? And James says, as you suffer with the other person, do not grumble against the other person. Now, here's what it means. Here's what the word grumble means. It means this. It means a groaning within or a sigh. Anyone ever like sighed at your wife before? Like, that's what he's talking about. Like, he's not talking about just all those words that you're spewing out in the middle of a fight. I mean, am I the only one? Like, you're like, oh, I wish I could take that back. I can't take that one back. It's like trying to put toothpaste back into a tube. That ain't happening. But what James is saying, it's not just those words of venom that are flowing out of your mouth. It's those little things, those little, like, sighs. Like, whatever. He's saying, let us not grumble, because if we grumble in that way, the Lord's judgment is just against those words as they are the words that flow out of our mouth. That is terrifying. Again, we went back, we could look back, think of all the things that you say in your head that never come across your lips. It's the same judgment that will come to you. So any grumbling that you have within you or any sighs that you have again in you, they will be judged. So may we suffer without grumbling with other people. He goes on to say this, let us be reminded of all the Lord's servants and how they suffered. That's in verse 10. I'll read that. As example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So he's saying, now let's consider those who came before us, the prophets, those in the Old Testament. Let us be reminded of how they suffered and how they patiently waited in their suffering. One of the first men that we see waited patiently in his suffering was Moses. You know how Moses waited patiently? Those Israelites, they were not happy with him. They wanted to kill him. So much so they came to Moses and said, hey, you're not leading us right. You're a terrible leader. And we'd rather go back to Pharaoh because at least at Pharaoh we get some better food. And Moses was like, what? But he waited patiently so that the Lord would do a work in their hearts to soften the hearts as he led them through the wilderness. Remember the prophet Elijah. Elijah waited patiently as two people, the queen and the king, hated his guts. And he took no vengeance upon that. Remember King David. King David had a chance in the cave to kill Saul. Remember that moment? And he cut off the edge of, the Saul and then, of Saul's robe. And then he was so convicted that he came against the Lord's anointing. He's like, woe is me. I, I shouldn't even touch him. I'm not waiting patiently. God's going to do to Saul what God's going to do to Saul. I don't have to do it. It's basically what he said. Then we have the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called by God to go preach to the people of God. Now, thank God this is not the call that God has placed on my life. But Jeremiah was called by God to go to the people of God. And then God told him in advance, hey, by the way, Jeremiah, those people won't listen to a word you have to say. And they'll hate every word you have to say. But go preach anyway. Now, I want you to think his whole entire ministry of preaching God's word. And he knew there would be no results. 
But yet he did it patiently and faithfully. So much so that it said this about the prophet Jeremiah. He was known as the weeping prophet. If that were me, and God said, hey, you're going to go to a people and they're never going to listen to you, I'd be called the complaining prophet. I would not be weeping. I'd just be complaining. I wouldn't do the sighing and grumbling as before. I'd be outright just like cursing people. But Jeremiah waited patiently because he knew that God had something for the people of God. Think about the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a faithful man to preach God's faithful word to God's people. In the middle of his ministry, you know what happened? His wife died, killed. And yet, he continued to preach faithfully in his patience, even in his suffering. I do not know what I would do if in the middle of my ministry, Jenny passed away. I would pack up my bags. I'd go flip burgers at Whataburger. I, 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 don't know how, I don't know how I could do this without the faithfulness of Jenny. But yet, Ezekiel was patient and faithful as his wife died in the middle of his ministry. Remember the prophet Daniel. Daniel was robbed from his home, stolen from his home, put into exile. He saw his three friends get thrown into the furnace. They lived. And then later on in the book of Daniel, it it, it says that Daniel was such a godly man that he would pray to God three times a day, and the people around him hated him. So much so they said, hey, you got to get rid of this guy. They threw him in a lion's den. And yet we see God rescued it, and yet we see the continuation of God using Daniel because of Daniel's patience through his suffering. Lastly, the last prophet to ever walk the planet was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a, a wild man. He might have been half crazy, half sane, I, I don't know. But he wandered the desert, ate locusts, spread with honey, had camel uh, uh, fur on, and just preached boldly about the sins of the people and how they must repent. So much so they got his head cut off. You see how patient he was in waiting for what God would have and use for him. On and on I could go. Read Hebrews chapter 11. It says at the very end of Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter. It's the chapter that that the writer just points us back to all the men and women that came before us. They preached faithfully in their suffering. So much so that some were beheaded, sawed in half, and put in chains, it says at the end. May we be reminded and look to God's people of how they waited patiently in their suffering. See, if we look to the people around us today, we don't wait patiently. Let's look to those of old and how they waited patiently. The next one is this. It's a short one. Let us be reminded in verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. There is a blessing for each of us if we remain patient in our suffering. I'll read what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where he's praying to God about the thorn in his flesh. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, 
A thorn was given in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with God about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and if you're here this morning, you have that thorn in your flesh, whatever that thorn may be, the words that God spoke to Paul are spoken to you. My grace is sufficient for you. Whatever suffering, whatever trial you're going through, the same promise that was spoken to Paul was his thorn in his flesh as he pled with God to take it away. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. Let me say that verse again. How many of us in this room, in our suffering, do we feel weak or inadequate? And yet the promise of God is this, that in your weakness, he is so powerful. Let's never forget that. He goes on to say this. Therefore, because of your power and my weakness, and because it's perfect in my weakness, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in what? My weakness. So what Paul is saying to us, may we what? Boast in our suffering. How many of us boast about our suffering? But Paul is saying, it's because of God and God alone, because in my weakness I'm strong, and because I'm strong, therefore I can rejoice in my suffering. I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamity. He says, I am content with those things, which means I'm all right with those things. How many of us aren't all right with our hardships, insults, persecution, calamities, and weaknesses? He goes on to say, for when I am weak, then what? I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to be that. For I ought to have been commanded by you. For, And then he goes on, he says, For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of true apostles were performed among you with the uttermost, what? Patience. With signs and wonders and mighty works. You see, how often do we want to see the signs and wonders be performed among us? Paul says we got to be patient with our suffering. It's when we're patient with our suffering that we see those things. It's what, Paul, what, what Rob read at the very beginning. Everyone had that poor boy done. But his mom and his dad waited patiently the Lord. And now they can see the miracle that happened. Again, it goes back to what I said a few moments ago. When we wait patiently, I promise this, it is so worth it. You, you see, God can do mysterious things in mysterious ways. And God could have healed that boy as soon as he fell out the tree. Bam, done. But we wouldn't be rejoicing the way we are today if we didn't wait through the pain and suffering to see the miracle happen. 
Let us never rush the process. Let us find our strength and our weakness as we trust in the Lord. May we hear what the words of Jesus said to those who came who waited patiently. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Two more things and then we'll bring it to a close this morning. The next thing is we must be reminded of God's purposes. And he says it this way in verse 11b. He says, consider those who are blessed, who said steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purposes of the Lord. So now he says, now let me take you to one more Old, Old Testament character, Job. Anyone know Job? Job was a righteous dude, more righteous than anyone else on the planet, it says at the time. And so there's this, uh, this conversation that happens in chapter one of Job. God is in heaven. Satan shows up and says, hey, Satan says to God, I know why Job is so uh, godly. It's because you've given him everything. And, and God's like, okay, really? Well, let me show you how godly he is. You can do anything you want to him. You just can't take his life. So Satan goes down. And he has his little minions go around. And the first thing that happens is Satan robs him and kills all of his children in one failed swoop. House crashes in on him. We see that Job remained steadfast in his suffering. Satan went back a next time to God and said, hey, well, it's because you've given him all this wealth. He may have lost his children, but you've still got all these camels and cows and all this land. And Satan says to God, let me take that from him. And God's like, okay. And on and on we go. So we see Job be robbed of his children, be robbed of his wealth, be robbed of his health. He's also robbed of his uh, reputation. And lastly, probably the most important of all of them, he is robbed of the sense of God's presence in his life. In the chapter, he goes to God, and he's like so angry at God, and he says to God, where have you been? Where are you in all this? Anyone there in their suffering? Like, God, where are you? Am I the only one again? Job had that. And yet Job had an honest conversation with God about that. He had some knucklehead friends that were like, man, I don't know what you've done. You've done something really bad. He had a really, really bad wife. Curse God and die. It'd be better off for you. I hope Jenny never tells me that. It'd be real discouraging. So he's got his wife saying curse God and die. He's got his friends saying, hey, man, you've done something really bad. I don't know what you've done. You better do something about it. And then there's this little knucklehead that comes along. He's like a teenage boy, literally. The teenage boy goes, hey, you might need to go have a conversation with God. So for the the bulk of the letter, or the book of Job, is God and Job having this conversation about his suffering. And then he says, Job says this, in the middle of that conversation with God, he says this, though you slay me, I will rejoice. And then at the very last interaction that God has with Job, Job says this, and this is true in all of our suffering, if we allow suffering to take its full effect, he says this to God, though my ears and mind have always heard about you, my eyes have finally seen you. How many of us have heard about God? And how few of us have actually seen God. 
it's through our suffering that we stop hearing about God and we see God intervene for us. I mean, we've heard about God. We've heard about miracles happening. But when Rob stood up and said what he said, we now get to see God do miracles. My prayer for us in our suffering is we'd stop just hearing about God and knowing God, but we would finally be able to, like Job, say, man, I have seen God. And this is how we can say all that in our suffering, in our persecution, because we're reminded, again, of God's character. It's what James says at the very last verse. He says this, how the Lord is what? Two things. Compassionate and merciful. See, we can go through our suffering because God is compassionate toward us. He knows your suffering. And yet he has those compassionate hands to touch you in your suffering. He's not far off. He's very present in your suffering. And then he says, and he's merciful. He continues to give us more and more and more and more of what we do not deserve. Even in our suffering. Are we reminded this morning of those things? Are we reminded this morning that the Lord is coming? Therefore, this suffering is momentary. Are we reminded this morning that in our suffering we ought not to grumble? Are we reminded this morning of those of old that have gone before us and have shown us how to suffer well? Are we reminded this morning of the blessings of our suffering? Are we reminded of the purposes that we would see God? And are we reminded of God's character this morning? Let us pray.